I believe there's a hero in all of us. You have great powers, only some of which you have as yet discovered. I'm a superhero. I'm a, a real-life superhero. The world needs extraordinary. We will make you a superhero. Are you ready to become a hero? Initiating surprise in three. This two is one. The Real Brian Show. It's TRB Unleashed. Yes. Holy cow. I have an absolutely incredible episode coming your way today. Heather Alice Shea joins me to continue the discussion that I had with Nick Armstrong about how to continue to find and understand our identity, deal with the grief many of us have right now, and to truly thrive. This discussion is going to be backed by some incredibly fascinating science and psychology. It's a slightly longer episode than usual, but every single minute is absolutely worth it. Let's rock it. Thank you for joining me here on The Real Brian Show. It is TRB Unleashed. These are the episodes where I get to interview some incredible, wonderful people who nerd out on their passions and they do not apologize for it. And they also get to unleash their superheroes. It's inspiring. It's encouraging. It's empowering. You're going to learn something. And of course, it's entertaining. We're going to have fun. So I mentioned Nick Armstrong in the intro and he was on a few weeks ago. We discussed the loss of identity right now with everything going on. We also discussed kind of how we're all grieving. And we also need that curation of quality content. And at the end of that episode, we said, you know what? We need to have somebody on who's qualified to talk about grieving. So we're going to be talking about that today. But it's only going to be a very small part of the episode because, yeah, I know many of us are really tired of hearing what's going on right now. I think we're ready to move on. I'm definitely up there with you right now. I'm, I'm so tired of it. So we're going to keep the current stuff to a super minimum. Barely going to talk about it at all. But it is happening. But the intention here is to provide you with some incredibly inspiring, encouraging, and helpful and practical tips on thriving. Yes, right now during this time. But you can also apply this throughout the rest of your life, no matter what is going on and no matter what year it is and no matter where we're all at. So that's the cool part. But it's going to be a little deep. Well, okay, I'm saying it's a little deep. Some of you may be like, whoa, I just blew a fuse in my brain. This is like so deep. I don't even know. what. Wow, Mariana Trench kind of deep. You know, no, it, it It depends on where you're at, but it is a little longer. Bear with us. It's worth every single minute, so check it out. Let me tell you about Heather right now. Heather is an intuitive life trainer and business development mentor who certifies emerging coaches into purposeful and prosperous coaching practices that thrive. Her specialty is helping her clients turn their soul's mission into a movement so that they can impact the millions they are called to serve. She's the founder and CEO of Atmana Coaching Academy, the world's first research-supported intuitive life coach certification company that formally integrates intuition into the coaching process. She's the creator and host of the Everyday Intuitive Podcast, and her work has been featured in top publications like Spirituality and Health Magazine, Mind Body Green, Elephant Journal, and Best Self Magazine. Heather holds a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling and a bachelor's in psychology. This is going to be a fun conversation. Heather, welcome to The Real Brian Show. Hey, Brian. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. I am so glad you're here. We connected through Miriam Shulman. Mm-hmm. And you know, mm-hmm. I've mentioned Miriam on my show, of course. But it was really cool because you and Miriam had a conversation and it was all about handling grief right now. And it was so interesting because I, you know, we just had this conversation with Nick Armstrong a few weeks ago. We were talking about the loss of identity and grieving and the need for a curation of quality content right now. 
And at the end of the episode, you know, Nick and I were talking about, we really need to have somebody on who's qualified to talk about grieving. And he's like, well, I'm not. So (laughs) I'm punting that to someone else. And I said, I'm going to find someone. Don't worry. And then I heard you and I thought, Ooh, this might be it. This could be really cool. But I'm going to tell you something. You mentioned a quote Mm. on Miriam's show. Granted, it's only been what a week or so, I think since it's aired, but it has already changed my life and mindset. And it was when you were talking with a potential client, your client was saying something along the lines of like, well, I guess, you know, you're worth $500 an hour or something like that. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm not worth $500 an hour. I'm priceless. I will let you pay me $500 an hour. And I just went, whoa. And and even Miriam's response was like, whoa. And I thought, yeah. I have a feeling, Brian, this is going to be a very vulnerable podcast for me (laughs) because we're going to be talking about, you know, some really serious subjects that are, are happening in our society today. And really that epiphany came to me as a culmination of working on my own grief and shame Mm. and self-worth issues throughout my life. And that was a really kind of a banner moment for me because I had been, you know, working for years at that point with clients. It was, I think me just really stepping into giving myself permission to allow myself to be a person in the room. I remember reading a a quote by this poet once. They said, I learned, I realized that I had fallen madly in love with myself Mm. when I could stand in a room and count myself as a person in it. I wouldn't say there are nine people in the room. I would say there are 10 because I'm a person too. Interesting. And so I think that was really me from, you know, of course, the business perspective to learn to value myself at my true worth, which I believe for all of us is really priceless. And once we figure out what we mean to the world, what I mean to the world and what you mean to the world, just by being who we are, the unique person that you you are, the unique person that I am, I think you discover that you are priceless mm-hmm. because there's never going to be another you. I mean, yeah. that we know, right? There's yeah. never going to be another you. There's never going to be another me. And so the value in who we are is in the knowing, not the acknowledgement of that, but it's also just accepting it. Yeah. You know, you don't have to do anything to make yourself be that way. You just are that way. So you accept it. So thank you for that. I really, I really appreciate you telling me how much that impacted you. Oh, well, it was, it was huge. I mean, you know, usually you hear things on podcasts and you go, oh, that's really good. That was one of those things that just stopped me. And I just kept, you know, going back and listening to it and I wrote it down and I thought, oh my gosh, I need to remember this. Mm. Some people say things to say things. You could tell that was, that was real for you. From the depths of my soul, (laughs) (laughs) me finally realizing I'm not completely worthless. Yes. And that's really where that comes from. I grew up in a really poor, a very, very, very poor family, like Mm. super low socioeconomic status, you know, just a lot of tragedy in my life before Mm. I even hit kindergarten. I'd survived some things. I think most humans should never have to have to see witness or, or endure. Yeah. So yeah, that was my moment of going, wait a minute. I am more than my experiences. Yeah. I have intrinsic value. That's great. You know how many people doubt themselves? (laughs) Literally the whole world. (laughs) Gosh, yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah, Yeah. And in my experience, I think the people who doubt themselves the most are the ones who truly have something really cool mm. and unique to give. I think self-doubt is the disease of the people who are truly creative and, and uh, truly, truly heart-centered. You know, I always tell my clients, you know, self-doubt is a big 
a big thing my clients struggle with. And I always say, look, a narcissist doesn't worry whether or not they're good enough. I promise you're not a narcissist. I promise you're not (laughs) egotistical, you know? (laughs) So, yeah. 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 So now you used to live in Colorado. I did. What a fantastic state. Yeah. It's such a great place, but you're, Mm -hmm. you're near the beach now, which is more important. Yeah, I, I'm a beach. I'm 300 years on both my mother and my father's side of island babies. So nice. as much as I love the mountains, there's no way I'm, I got to be near the ocean for sure. <laughs> they got to have both. You know, you got to have the the beautiful, I don't know, you know, Rocky Mountains and a beach, but I don't think mm-hmm. that would work. I don't think it would work. It's yeah. like two totally different vibes. Yeah. You know, but thank goodness we can jump on planes. Well, there you go. go. I was going to say forth. you could yeah. have a summer and a winter home. That'd be all good. Mm-hmm. All right. What are you nerding out on right now? Oh my gosh, I am I am nerding out on my most favorite topic in the entire world, which is intuition. So Ooh. what I do for a living is I run a, a life coach training and business development company. And my company specializes in formally introducing intuition mm-hmm. into the coaching process using research-supported methodologies. I am absolutely fascinated with the concept of intuition. One of the what are the big questions on your mind and heart, right? Like as mm-hmm. you as you go through your life, what are those big things that capture you, that fascinate you? It's almost like an idea. Carl Jung, a famous psychotherapist, he said, people don't have ideas, ideas have people. Mm. And so intuition as an idea definitely has me. I love it and I'm fascinated with it because I really do believe that humanity, one of humanity's biggest problems that we have individually, societally, nationally and globally is that we have a really hard time telling the difference between what is true and what isn't. And I believe that intuition is a mechanism by and through which we actually do have a greater capacity to discover what is true for ourselves. I always describe it as a right brain information gathering process. Mm-hmm. The logical linear way of collecting information and, and seeing the world, of course, is, you know, we're all very, very well, well versed in that. But I love intuition because I think that it's, it's almost like a, a second data stream that if we can learn to use, it offers us insight into things that, that we just simply will not know unless we open up to the idea that there is always within us the ability to understand higher meaning and figure out what is true for ourselves and Mm -hmm. knowing what is true for us and living our life in alignment with that truth. I think from that place is when we're really in a strong position to be able to help other people in whatever way that we can. So yeah, I just think it's fascinating. The science on it is mind-blowing, like absolutely mind-blowing. If people knew how this thing worked and you know if people had any idea how much true uh, scientific data there is on what it is and how it works i think people would just be completely in love with it just like i am so, <laughs> so what's one thing that you know from the science that you saw that was like oh my gosh this is actually true yeah okay so remember when we were little kids and people would be like i've got a sixth sense and you're like yeah, yeah. me too i'm batman you know <laughs> i can read minds and you know kind of in that little kid energy right yeah what a cool thought. What if we did yeah. actually have a sixth sense? I mean, we, we would be like Professor X from the X-Men. So when I was little, I always was so taken back by that. I'm like, oh man, I wish that were true. Unfortunately, it, you know, too bad it isn't. <laughs> but what the research now shows is we actually do have one. We actually mm. know what it is. So this is quite literally almost like discovering that you have another nose or another set of eyes or, Mm. you know, so we taste or we've got our five 
sensory, you know, our perceptual senses, which mm-hmm. are, you know, of course, that we smell, we hear, we taste, we touch. Well, there is actually a literal sixth sense that's grounded in an organ. There's a neural connectivity between your brain and your heart. Interesting. That is the intuition pathway. That is your sixth sense. Your sixth sense is your heart and your brain are connected by neural circuitry. And your heart actually has the ability, there's an electromagnetic field that your heart emits. And every single living organism on earth that's alive emits an electromagnetic field or Mm. frequency. Yeah. Of course, this is at the subatomic level, right? So it emits this field. And in this field, there's information. This electronic field sends and receives energetic data all the time. And my favorite example of this, have you seen the movie Dumb and Dumber? Oh, yeah. Okay, so I think it was Lloyd is Jim Carrey's character. Yeah. And he convinces Harry to go. I don't know if I got the names right, but you we'll did. say you Lloyd's did. Jim Carrey. Okay, yeah. so Lloyd, he's like, go talk to her, man, yeah. when we're, when they're at the uh, dinner. And he's like, fine, fine, I'll, I'll go talk to her for you. He's being a good wingman. And he goes, what are you going to do? And yeah. He goes, I'm going to hang by the bar and send out the vibe. Like, if Lloyd knows you can send out the vibe, like, we all know we send out vibes, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So you send vibes through this heart field, but you also receive them. You can also literally read. Yeah. So how your intuition works is via this electromagnetic field, this information comes into your heart. It shoots up this neurological pathway into your brain. It hits into your limbic system. It takes about three seconds for this to happen. Then all of a sudden your little brain goes, hmm, something is going, my spidey senses are tingling. Yeah. And then from there, it goes to your gut. And that is why people say, trust your gut. Because at the gut level, that's the third stop that this intuitive information, that's where it goes heart, brain, gut. But at the gut level, that's when most people become aware of it. They Mm. feel it somatically. They feel it in their body. Yeah. But sensitive people like me, sensitive people who are kind of sensitive to energy, a lot of my clients are insanely energy sensitive. I mean, Mm. they feel everything, right? Yeah. There are people who can sense this at the heart level. Like they don't even need to cognate. They don't even need to be thinking. They're just like in the energy of it. Yeah. So yeah, so it's super fun to train people how to sensitize their intuition, how to use their intuition. So I always say, you know, there's no such thing as not being an intuitive. This is a, the research clearly shows that in being an intuitive is a baseline human skill. It's a basic psychophysiological skill all humans possess and cross-culturally the statistics on that are the same across all cultures in humanity, right? So it's baseline. It's just that some people have a proclivity to be more intuitive than others, just like Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant, God rest his soul, Mm -hmm. um, was born with more athletic skill, right? So some people have that higher baseline, but that doesn't mean that everyone isn't into everybody. Just like you blink without having to think about it, just like your hair grows without you having to think about it. It's the same unconscious systems that are operating in the background of your life every single day where you're intuiting information. So I teach clients how to make unconscious process a conscious process. So in other words, putting you in conscious command of how and when you use your intuition like a tool to help you improve your life and hopefully the lives of others as you do so. That is incredible. That was going to be one of my questions is can you teach people to do that? You answered that. Mm-hmm. That's neat though, because I'm one of those that also is very sensitive to the intuition. You know, I've called it perception in the past. It's interchangeable words, right? But it's this whole idea of of sensing. And it's so funny. Uh, have you ever heard of the book Highly Sensitive Person, the HSP? Oh, yes. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
somebody mm-hmm. talked to me about that, I don't know, a couple of years ago. I never read the actual book, but I checked out, you know, some of the literature. I think you took the test, you know, and I think it was like if you scored a 14 or higher, you're a, definitely a highly sensitive person. And I scored like a 19. So I was I think it was 19 out of 22. But, you know, it's one of those situations, too, where like sudden loud noises will kind of throw you out, you know, like, oh, my gosh, I, I, I got to get out of here kind of thing mm-hmm. because you just can sense everything and you can sense the energy around you. This is why I love going to coffee shops where a lot of college students are working because college students just kind of still have that innocence. You know, they haven't been corrupted by the sucks of life. I mean, some of them, even like you were saying, you've dealt with stuff, you know, when you were younger, but I feel like a lot of people, as they get older, they just kind of start, you know, more fear creeps into them and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So when I'm in a coffee shop surrounded by college students, or, you know, most of them are, I just kind of feel at peace. But when I'm in other groups where there are older people, you know, they're out of college is what I mean. Like life has, Mm -hmm. has challenged them. And you start to like, why am I feeling either depressed or why am I feeling stressed and anxious, right? You know, whatever the feeling is, right? Mm-hmm. And then I'll come home and I'll be going, what, what is, I don't even know what's wrong. There is nothing going on in my mind right now that's causing this, but I'm realizing that I'm picking up on everyone else's feelings really strongly. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what originally clued me into what is this? But the intuition part has been a significant fascination of mine. Mm-hmm. I've mentioned mm-hmm. this on the show. I'm a huge fan of the superhero, The Shadow because that was one of his gifts. That was kind of one of his superpowers cool. essentially too. So it's just like, wow, this is, this is so cool. Yeah. Well, and you had mentioned feeling people's emotions that yeah. you can feel it. And what's interesting about that is if intuition was a car, the gas would be emotion. It's what makes yeah. it go. So that electromagnetic field, we know the quality of that field is largely determined by the emotions a person feels. So you can actually look when you hook a person up to an EEG, EKG, right? When you get them all hooked up to all of the, the scientific equipment when they do these experiments and they ask the people to invoke a feeling of gratitude or invoke a feeling of anger. They ask them to you know, remember a time in your life when you felt angry or remember a time in your life when you felt gratitude and you can see the emotion. Literally, it's like a fingerprint mm. for the emotion register in their, their heart pattern. Wow. And what's so wild about this is that positive emotions produce a coherent waveform and negative emotions don't. Have you heard of Dr. Emoto with the water experiments? Was that the, what the bleep do we know? Um, or did they talk about he, that? They might've featured, yeah, they might've okay. featured it, but it's a, a doctor. He wrote positive, like love, happiness, joy yes. on cups of water and froze it. And then hate, anger. Also, they did it with music, like heavy metal, kind of like rock thrasher (laughs) music. And then also with classical music. And what they found was that the water would freeze in these beautiful crystalline patterns, Mm -hmm. like snowflake. I mean, just perfect geometric patterns when they were influenced by the the happy words, you Mm -hmm. know, the, the positive emotional words in the classical music versus not, right? They would produce these like jagged, incoherent, like there was no pattern to it. It just looked awful, you know? Yeah. So now understand that your body is what 70% water and we're starting to get down to it. Right. So a big reason why I think people like you, like me and people who are energy sensitive, we are so sensitive to other people's emotions. And we do have a hard time telling the difference between, Ooh, is that yours? Is that mine? Because we are intuitive and we speak the language of emotion. It's a language. We understand that IQ isn't the only factor anymore. The oh, EQ yeah. movement is now like this whole thing. It yeah. really is kind of like finally. It's, it's only right. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> There's hope. <laughs> so yeah. And I agree with you about college kids, by the way. I did my 
my practicum and internship for my graduate degree at a university counseling center. Mm -hmm. And as you were speaking, I had a very similar experience and being around people that age. And what I came to, kind of how I surmised, why is it that I do feel better around them? It's because they still have hope. Mm-hmm. Yes. They still have hope. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's, right. I, hate, I hate to say this, that is so sad that they still have hope and people as they get older don't. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. is, it's a true testament though. And that's the feeling I've always gotten, which is why, you know, there are a lot of places, well, come hang out. And it's like, you know, I love these people, but I can't be around them. Mm-hmm. because it drags me down even if they're not saying anything their emotions are dragging me down because i can feel them mm-hmm. so yeah it's it's like it's a good reminder and that's another reason why again i love to just be around that energy of those college students i like to be around them it's a reminder to say you know what they're innocent maybe they're naive but they have hope and they have joy right now and they're just not worried about everything we need to be more like that we need to remember that yeah i agree i thought i have a 16 year old daughter i tell her this all the time that there's There's absolutely nothing naive or sophomoric or silly about holding on to hope because it's what keeps you going through the atrocities and the sad horrors of of the world, right? There's a lot of really dark going on right now in the world. It's very sad and it's very tragic. And if there's one thing we're guaranteed to encounter in life, it's suffering. Mm -hmm. You know, the Buddha said that all of life is sorrowful. All of life is suffering. It's the one thing we're guaranteed. And at the end of it, we get rewarded with dying. So, you know, hope is an inoculation. It's what drives resilience. I think you had mentioned that, you know, mm-hmm. talking about grieving with um, Nick yeah. in the previous podcast. Hope, I think, is is what helps us cultivate resilience in the face yeah. of pain and suffering. And And then from that place, really being in a position to help other people hold on to hope. Because I... I think that so much of life, the meaning that we find in life, particularly right now, you know, as as we are going through this in our country and also globally, I think where we find strength and where we find the ability to come through the grieving is in a meaning beyond ourselves. It's in a purpose beyond ourselves. And so that always comes down to other people, Mm. you know, how we can step up and, and help other people. So I would really love to see us as a as a society come back to that to understand that how we best help ourselves is by helping other people and I live that so much and I know that so much to be true that I literally made it my profession. <laughs> I spend That's every awesome. day doing it, you know. I'm like, first of all, I got to figure myself out. Okay, I'm going to get a master's degree <laughs> in this crap and then I'm going to train other people how to do it. Yeah. That's the <laughs> so, way to do it. Right. <laughs> Well, you know, you're right about the the grief right now and everything that's going on and people trying to work through it and kind of find hope and also to thrive. By the way, thanks for bringing that up. That's one of the most fascinating things I think I've ever heard in my life was when I originally heard about that whole water experiment. And I just went, oh my gosh, this is, this is like mind blowing. Kind of what that experiment told me, our minds essentially influence almost anything that goes on with us. And so if we're you know, thinking negative thoughts and we're filling ourselves with negativity and let's just say news right now, (laughs) you know, what is that going to do to the water within us? The 70% of our body, it's going to create those jagged crystalline structures. So is that a good idea? Of course not, you know, and then that goes back to even what you were saying about how people pick up on your energy, not just you picking up on theirs is that if you're the dark cloud in the room, people see it. I actually did a little, uh, a little bit of a joke experiment at coffee shops 
where I would come in and I, you know, I wouldn't shave and I'd have my hat on and I would just kind of slouch my, my shoulders and just be like, oh, you know, whatever. And, you know, nobody looked up at me. It was just like, nope, don't want to talk to this guy. And then, you know, the next time I'd come in, I'd shave, I'd have my hair done, you know, and I'd just be like standing straight, tall and, you know, actually literally joyful and people would turn and they'd look and they'd smile. And it's like, I didn't do anything different except change my, how I presented myself to others, which Mm -hmm. people pick up on. I didn't say anything to these people. You know, I think there's some incredible tie in between intuition, finding hope, And then, you know, thriving in this time right now with ourselves and with others, because if we, if we're filling ourselves with negativity and we're believing it and we're losing that hope, then life is going to suck hard for us and it's Mm -hmm. going to continue to suck hard for us and those around us. If we can say, all right, you know what? The external sucks. Let's do something within ourselves to have that hope to have that positivity. Let's fill ourselves with things that are good and positive and beautiful and hopeful and all that so that it starts to build those structures within our water. Yeah. (laughs) That's 70% Mm -hmm. of us. Won't that eventually manifest itself? It will. The problem is, and I love what you're saying by it right now. The, The issue I have found with it is that, and I say this as a clinician and as a coach is, and rightfully so. This is where I, when I sit with people who are truly sad, Sure, you know, really having a hard time. They're sad, they're lonely, they're depressed, they're anxious. I cannot blame them. I understand why we as a society have a hard time doing that because oh, ev- sure. most everything we're seeing is confirming the contrary. Yeah. So it really comes down to asking ourselves, what do we want to believe yeah, about yeah. ourselves and the world? So, you know, resilience, hope, all of these things come from refusing to allow your external environment to dictate how you internally orient within yourself. Mm-hmm. I really struggled with this, what we're talking about right here as a, as a person, you know, how can I be hopeful? Yeah. How can I be resilient? When people are dying, oh, yeah. people are losing, you know, we are, at, we are, I don't even know. Are we going to go to war with China? I mean, there's just all <laughs> kinds of things going yeah. through my head right yeah. about now. Okay. So it's like, I almost feel like I would be irresponsible to be hopeful right now. I, mm. That's crazy. We need to sound the alarm. This is, you know, so this is kind of the inner monologue that's going on for people. And the, the crazy thing about it is they're not wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So big question I had in my 20s, I was diagnosed with a PTSD, a mm. post-traumatic stress syndrome, mm-hmm. a major depression and generalized anxiety disorder as a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Mm. A part of my healing process was to figure out, okay, how do I live with this? And I came across the work of Viktor Frankl, who wrote the mm-hmm. book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah. And he survived four years in the, you know, the prison camps at Auschwitz. What he said, he discovered. I mean, can you even imagine what this guy went through? I mean, I just, the depths of human suffering, the likes of which I literally cannot wrap my mind around. Oh, yeah. And he said, in this camp, I found the greatest of human freedoms, Mm. which is that I get to say what type of person I will be. Mm. The Nazis cannot stop. They can take my life. They can take my clothing. They can kill my family. They can take the teeth out of my mouth. They can do anything to my physical body. They own me. 
But what they cannot do is determine the quality of my character and what I choose to believe. And from that place of belief, what I choose to do. He said, I can give my last crust of bread to my neighbor and Mm. the Nazis can't stop me. And I just thought, wow! I was just like bawling, like, oh my God, like how beautiful, how beautiful. If he can sit in a concentration camp and find hope and find meaning and make that experience something positive, well, who am I? Who am I to ever say that hope doesn't deserve a chance? Yeah. You know, we, yeah. Who am I to say that I have absolutely no excuse for it? I have no excuse for it. So while I understand, you know, my heart is broken in so many ways, or I'm sad, or this or that, you know, I all I and I hold space for myself with that. But I also understand that to be human is to find a way to that we as humans do arise victorious over those types of challenges all the time if we choose to. I can't imagine what people went through in Auschwitz either. And my friend, my high school friend. Her great aunt was alive when we were in high school and she came and spoke to us. She was in Auschwitz as well. Mm. We got to hear the stories and I mean, it was, it was traumatic, you know, horrible. You can't even imagine those kind of horrors that went on. On the other hand, I, you know, even what you just said and what people go through is very real to them and that's what they know. And to them, that's the worst thing they've experienced. And it can be mm-hmm. horrible, mm-hmm. horrible, horrible, mm-hmm. traumatic. And so, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people that never likes to, diminish what someone goes through, you know, because that hurt them. And I always say that, you know what, you went through this and, and it sucks kind of thing. And, and right. you, you need to be okay. Like, like don't compare yourself to what other people like you, you went through this mm-hmm. and it's, I'm not a counselor, but I, I could be wrong here, but I, I think I'm right. <laughs> no, you're not. You're right. That's exactly it. You're, you're ready to go. <laughs> yeah. My, my, my hope though, is that people, I mean, they have to live with this. They're never going to forget it but they process through it and they overcome it. That's always my hope. And it is always a choice to overcome it. And it is always, but I love what you said that the external does not have to define you. It does not Mm -hmm. have to tell you who you are. I mean, maybe it can, maybe the external helped you to become the person you are today, even in a very horrible way, you know, going through trauma can actually define you in a better way eventually, but you can't let the actual negative define you as a bad person or as someone who's unloved or unwanted or whatever. So I'm always talking about that too, because it's just so, it's so important. I know you know that. I know that's what you coach too, but I love what you said that you have to choose that. This is completely useless. I mean, but I want to share it anyway, because for me, it was, it was a life-changing moment, even though it was by no means a traumatic time for me compared to what Mm. I've been through as well. I've been through some highly traumatic times in my life as well. I've said this on the show and I'll say it again. When my lower disc ruptured in my back, I had to have surgery Mm. and they permanently damaged my sciatic nerve, which means that, you know, I got off the operating table. I couldn't walk for three months. I had to use a walking stick. I had to relearn how to walk and use other muscles to compensate because certain muscles just don't work anymore. Hmm. But I remember that at about that three month mark, as crazy as this is, and and again, this is pretty trivial compared to some of the other traumas we all go through, but it it was a learning moment. We had three greyhounds at the time. For people who know dogs, dogs are pack animals. One of the pack will rise to be an alpha one way or the other. That's how dogs and packs work. And usually the humans are supposed to be the alphas, not the dogs. 
And at the time, you know, I'm on the couch. I can't move. I can barely go to the bathroom. You know, it's just stuff like that. Three months go by and I realized the dogs have become the alphas. Hmm. And I took that walking stick and I slammed it down on the ground and I stood up and I said, no, I will walk because I'm going to be the alpha in this pack. And they all dropped to their beds instantly. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And I decided I'm going to walk and I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to find a way to compensate. And that was the defining moment for me to say, I'm going to overcome these injuries. But again, that wasn't even the traumatic thing that I experienced in life. That was just a little speed bump. But it was that moment where you just got to say, okay, I can either be owned by the dogs <laughs> right, or I right. can own my problem and I can overcome this. Mm. Yeah. And it really is as simple as a decision. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's the wild part of it. I think we don't find that power within us because it is actually quite simple. It's, I am going to do this. Yeah. I choose to come hell or high water yeah. align to that reality. But you yeah, know, when you're really cool, when you're in the midst of trauma though, and things are happening to you and it's not only messing with you physically, but it's emotionally. And you know, you think you're worthless or like right now with everything that's going on, there's so much negativity. There's a lot of things going around. What's true. What isn't, you know, are we going to war? Are people going to die? Well, I mean, people are, but you know what I mean? It's like, there's all this mm-hmm. stuff. It's like, it's really hard to overcome that because it's, it's a mind game. It's gone mm-hmm. from, okay, this is a physical issue that I need to overcome. And now all of a sudden it's like, I don't even know what's true. How do I overcome something if I don't even know what the truth is? So, so right. Yeah. Which is kind of down to the whole point of it all, yeah. which is, where do you find truth and who says what is true for a person, which is why I love intuition because I believe intuition is how we discover what is true. So what is true for you is what you say is true for you. Mm -hmm. It's all on how you choose. I don't think we understand as human beings, how much power we have over our lives. Yeah. We live in a very materialistic world, right? We're taught from a very young age that the world is the things that you can see feel with your fingers, you know, that you can touch, you can hear with your ears, you can see with your eyes, you can taste with your mouth. That's the world. Mm -hmm. And it's a materialistic worldview. But we know that that's not all there is to the world. Have you ever seen a feeling? No, but we know feelings are real, right? So there's the psychic realm, psychic meaning mind. Mm -hmm. There's the realm of the mind. This is the realm of energy. It exists in the same you know, in the, in the energetic human beings are one part material, one part energetic. We use the word energy, we would say spiritual. So human beings are more than just our physical senses or our physical reality. Mm-hmm. And so when we're talking about these types of things, it's acknowledging that there is an element, a spiritual element or an energetic element or an emotional or a mental, however you want to characterize it. It Mm -hmm. doesn't matter to me. All of that to me is just saying basically the same thing, which (laughs) is that there is a mind, a part of ourselves that's intrinsic to us that in my humble opinion, if we align to it and say, okay, no, it's, it's up to me. I am more than just this body I'm in and I'm more than just these experiences. We really do unlock the power to do truly, truly miraculous things, things that we did not grow up thinking were possible. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So you just had enough and you threw your walking stick down and said, I'm done. This is assaulting my soul. This is not who I am. And Mm -hmm. you realized it. And so because you chose that, 
you changed it. The world is filled with with miracles like that. It really, oh, really yeah. is. We're just we're just taught that we shouldn't believe them or that they're so rare. You know, that's foolish to want to aspire to that or align to it. But I really believe that we all have that power within us. We just have to realize it, access it, yeah. you know, get in touch with it. So, yeah, yeah. And, and you're right. It goes beyond the the physical and the tangible, I think is the mm-hmm. the way to say it too. You know, and, and I went through a, a pretty intense period of depression many, many, many years ago. I was being emotionally assaulted and all that. You know, just you get to a point where you're like, am I really worth it? Because people are telling me I'm not. Mm-hmm. And so you you get, but it was also same kind of thing without going into details too much, but it was the same kind of thing where it's like, I can, I can remain in this depression and this fear or I can get out of it. And I don't exactly remember the day anymore. I, I try not to remember that side, that time of my life, but <laughs> I do remember that there was a moment in that as well, where you just say, and that was different. You know, I talked about the physical side and then, you know, this was significantly worse and you talk about, you know, do I really want to be defined like this? Do I want people to define me, which goes back to what you were saying, or do mm-hmm. I want to overcome this? And mm-hmm. I don't believe that that was a tangible or even a physical thing for me because mm-hmm. I could not see me overcoming the depression. I could not touch it, you know, or, or sense mm-hmm. it. It just, mm-hmm. I like what you're saying that it went beyond the physical and the tangible that there is that or the rational yeah or the rational corporeal because yeah because you know i'm always fascinated uh, by like people who think the world makes sense i'm like the world makes absolutely no sense i mean it's (laughs) you just think that it does because that's what makes it easier to cope but oh yeah you know we're taught to be rational we're taught to be logical you know kind of left brain and I think a big reason why it is hard to hope and it is hard to just go, so you know what? I'm done. I'm going to believe that I'm going to get up off this couch and walk is because we're taught to be rational. We're yeah. taught to be reason-able. Yeah. But the problem with being reasonable and the problem with always being rational, with always being logical and linear is that you never create anything new because mm-hmm. in order for it to be logical and rational and linear, all of that is predicated on the known. True. It's irrational to do something that's not predicated on the known, right? Yeah, so yeah. I always say that I think there's such a place for that. I am a Southern girl. I grew up in the country on a farm with four brothers, okay? Mm-hmm. I didn't wear shoes until I was 13. I'm the nice. most practical person you are ever going to meet. <laughs> I really am. So I love logic. I love our, you know, our rational, mental, critical thinking, analytical selves. I think it's so powerful and so important. But I also understand that that is only half the story, mm-hmm. that there is a mysterious faculty that I possess to know things I should not know that I could not possibly know and to do things I could not do that I should not, by all rights, from a linear paradigm, be able to do. Mm-hmm. I know that I have magic in me. And I hold that valid, just as valid as I do this intuitive faculty, right? This right brain faculty, the non-logical, non-linear, non-rational. Notice I didn't say irrational, mm-hmm. right? It's not, intuition isn't irrational. Oh, agreed. It's just non-rational, yeah. right? Yeah. It operates outside of the realm of cause and effect. And so therefore non-rational, non-linear, mm-hmm. but it doesn't contradict anything rational or linear. It just has a different process by which it gathers data and makes informed decisions. So I think it is truly in the marrying of these two ways of being 
for people that we start to become superheroes. I really believe that. Mm. We, we have to stay open to the magic. Like I imagine when you threw your walking stick down, you probably were like, screw this, I'm done. Yeah. And just had this emotion, this feeling in you that you let drive you, right? This intuitive knowing that you are going to walk again despite all of the odds, despite all of the doctors telling you no, despite all that reasonable information you have to not ever try to walk again because who's going to, you know, statistically speaking, you're kind of screwed. So <laughs> yeah. you let <laughs> you let that feeling drive you in direct override the logical. But mm -hmm. I bet you sat down and did your exercises and mapped out, you know, what day you would do what. And you let the logical side of you, that analytical side of you support the direction that you ultimately wanted you to go that you're that you wanted to move in life. So I always say your heart gets to pick the destination. I let my mind map the way. Yeah. Cuz man the mind is so good at coming up with plans and analyzing data, but I never let my logical self drive my life. I never let it tell me where we're going. My heart yeah. is the one that sets the destination for my life always. Always always. And I would rather I say this to my daughter all the time. I would rather live a life that dared on magic and go down in a blaze of glory <laughs> and nice. be wrong, right? Like yeah. I would rather be wrong with a life full of magic and go down in a blaze of glory than spend my life walking down the same little rut that everybody else went on. Oh, yeah. I, I do not want to do that. I yeah. don't want to do it at all. And it's not like I live this super awesome, like, you know, boho, chic, like creative life. Like I'm not, it's not even that, right? It's, yeah. I live a very simple life, but, but it's one that feels so incredibly congruent yeah. with who I am on the inside. And that is a radical act of courage and bravery to let the world see who you actually are mm -hmm. beyond all of the persona and all of the roles we play with our little soft underbelly exposed and our little, you know, that little inner child that was so hurt to just say, you know what, I'm giving life a shot and yeah. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be me. And I love myself enough this time around that when people reject me, I'm not going to mind because I'm holding my own hand through this thing at this point. Oh, you know, so, I, I love what you just said about being you. It sounds to me like that was a little bit of a, of a challenge for you. I know it has been for me, and I'm sure it is for almost anyone. Mm -hmm. Maybe not for some. I think some people literally just don't care, or or they say they don't. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they really don't, but I find that to be pretty rare, you know? Yeah, that's true. But I mean, you go, and especially for those of us who are putting ourselves out there, you've got a business, you've got a show now, I've got a show. You know, we put ourselves out there. We want to put ourselves out there more, and there's always something holding us back. And I think it is the... What is the real you and are people going to like it or not? Whether it's a, are they going to like me or not? Which I think is one factor. The other factor is, am I going to do all this work? Are they going to like it or not? Because if they don't, wow, I just wasted all that time and all that money. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, I think there's two sides to it. How did you overcome that? Because I, I mean, okay, yeah, I know this yes. is an issue for me and a lot of content creators, but mm -hmm. I got to believe that most of us deal with this. When you lay on your deathbed at 85, and you don't fade into the black knowing you sold your soul out for money. That's how I get up and do it every day. I am doing what I do because I know without a shadow of a doubt, I was put on this earth to bring intuition into the mainstream in a research-based way 
to return people to their soul. I have an incognito way to do this. It's like the all, I feel like I'm almost in like the spiritual mafia where like, I'm <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm like, I have like this secret, like my goal is to make everyone be in touch with themselves and fall madly in love with themselves Yeah. via intuition. And my front for that, my olive oil business is <laughs> my coach training and certification company. Yeah. So my business is nothing but a cover for me to do my soul's work. And I mm. mean that. I believe yeah. with every fiber of my being that I was literally born on this earth to do Atmana Coaching Academy. I don't even think Atmana is mine. I say mm. this to my coaches all the time. Yeah. It's not mine. It's on loan from the ether from which I channeled it into this dimension, man. Mm. Not mine. I'm just a person bringing it in. It's kind of like having a kid, right? Like my daughter is my daughter, but she's her own person. I don't own her. Yeah. You know, she's yeah. a, this unique creation. So I, I think that the answer to that is this, you ha we have to be doing something that even if it fails, even if it turns into just, and let's, let's go there, man. Let's go sure. there. Yeah. Let's say that it crashes and burns. Let's say my business, your the listeners listen to this. Let's say that you go out there and you give everything you've got. You're fully authentic. You really go for it and you get rejected. Here's what I promise you you won't regret it mm. because you're not doing it for them. I'm not yeah. doing this for anyone. I'm doing it because I know it's my purpose. I'm in service. I am in service to a purpose beyond myself. This is not about me. None of this is about me. Mm. Oh my God, if this was about me, I would not be working this hard. I can promise you. I don't like myself that much yet. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, oh, I don't, gosh. I'm not... I'm still a work in progress. Oh yeah. But but my company and what I'm doing in this company, this is for my coaches. This sure. is for the people I'm serving. So I don't care if people don't like it because yeah. you know what? One, it's not for you. And this is where I get a little cocky because I'm like, <laughs> listen, dude, for real, I think a certain amount, like when you do step into your purpose, you do discover a lot of confidence. Yeah. A ton of confidence because that confidence comes from knowing that you are doing something that is radically important and that it isn't about you or rooted in your ego. So I, I think one, it's about taking what you're doing and understanding that the effort is the reward. You wake up every day and the effort is the reward. The outcome is not your reward. When you are doing what you love, just doing it is the reward. And then the money and whatever success you find, that's all extra. That's all extra. One, even so if you crash and burn, you're not going to regret it. And two, for the haters or the people that don't resonate with it, well, then it's just not for them. I don't expect every person on this planet or even the people that I love very dearly in my even my own personal life to understand me. Yeah. I don't need them to understand me. I don't understand me half the time. Like I'm <laughs> so how can they get it? I mean, yeah. and it's just irrelevant. It's like I know what I'm here for and I'm going to do it. And if you want to be an awesome winner, come hang out with me. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> and if you don't, it's cool. It's just not your bag. It doesn't make you a loser or someone who it doesn't make you anything other than just like, "Hey man, it's just not your thing." Like, yeah. I don't know. I like Superman, you like Batman. It's cool. It's yeah. all different stuff. I don't need other people to look like if I'm, I like Superman, my little brother likes Batman. Like <laughs> I don't need him to love Superman so I can love Superman. Yeah, yeah. I love Superman. 
Yeah, that's I get really emphatic about that. Oh, I'm like, glad. Sorry, I just went off. No, that's like kind of my jam. Yeah. I spend my whole life helping people step into their purpose. The coaches I train, like I am dead serious about helping them be able to say the same thing, which is that they live their life in alignment with obituary goals, mm. not just resume goals. I mean, yes, we're here to make money and be successful and, you know, contribute in a meaningful way. But it's also like we got to spend our time doing things that actually matter to us as we fade into the black. Oh, yeah. You know, no, believe me, I am incredibly passionate about this. And I find that there are times where I get up on my soapbox, too, because it's like I'm seeing it around me. I've talked about this before a lot. For whatever reason, people do not believe me. I don't know why. Maybe it's because they don't want they chew like they don't want to. I don't want to believe that that's actually happening kind of thing, you know, Hmm. But I see this, especially with men. I know it happens with women too, but being a man, I just see it more. You know, you see men, it's like when you were growing up, we had all these ideas and this creativity and these dreams and we got to do this and we're going to really change the world with this. And then we get older and families come along, you know, things happen, responsibilities change. And now it's like those same men are just shells of themselves because they've lost their passion they've lost the ability to have fun. We know we say, Hey man, well, like what you want to get out and go do something or, you know, you want a game or what do you want? Oh, I don't have time for anything fun anymore. Wow. Okay. Well I get responsibility, believe me, but that's not okay either. You know? And then you see those that just say, well, I don't have time or I'm, I'm just going to find a, a job that, you know, hopefully can pay me just enough to pay the bills and you know, one foot in the grave sort of attitude. I have seen that in probably more than 80 or 90% of men that I've known. Mm-hmm. And again, mm-hmm. I know it's true with women too, but what happened? Yeah, we do it in our motherhood roles, I think. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, what the heck happened to us? You know, and so I'm a huge proponent for saying that, yes, you have to have meaning in your life. I mean, my parents are, you know, they retired a few years back and everything. And we saw this a lot with their friends who, thankfully, I mean, they're they're driven people. They have purpose. They're always like, woo, you know, keep going. They're always, you know, rebuilding something in their house. And it's it's funny, but you've got people they retired because it's like, man, I can't wait to quit working at whatever age. Then they didn't have a purpose anymore. Mm-hmm. And many of those guys died. Sadly, mm-hmm. they, they mm-hmm. got sick. They died because they didn't have any reason to live anymore. And mm-hmm. that's a horrible thing. Like just, I mean, thinking about that traumatized me for a few years, you know, when I started mm-hmm. hearing about that. And so my whole thing was like, what happened? Like, was their purpose wrapped up in their jobs? And so when they retired, you know, this is this big thing they're dreaming about finally going to go on vacations. And then they died a couple of years later because they didn't have purpose anymore. Like what the heck, you know? So I just feel that purpose is paramount to a healthy life. And without a purpose, what's the point? You yeah, I, th- I think, well, and I hear you about um, men in our society. And I often say this, you know, I, I had mentioned I grew up in a family of all boys. So I had a dad that I was, my dad was my best friend. He died 14 years ago, but we were soulmates. I was mm. so close with my father and he had four boys and me. I did have an older sister, but she died tragically when, mm. when I was little. So, you know, I, I say this with every ounce of compassion as a woman who has five men growing up adored Mm. by five men. I think that men have yet to have their revolution. Mm. Women are, of course we are rocking it. We are claiming our revolution. And I'm, I'm so proud of what we as sisters and as women and as daughters and mothers and best friends and all the roles we play, not only to other women, but you know, with men as well, I'm really excited for women. I feel like we are on the rise, but men have yet to start that revolution for themselves. And it 
it truly, truly worries me. Yeah, I agree. It worries me for my friends who have sons. There's so much talk in our culture today about like men versus women and the patriarchy oh, and this yeah. and that and all. And I'm like, these are our these are our brothers. These yeah. are our sons. These are our fathers. These are our husbands. These are our lovers. These mm-hmm. are our friends. How can we feel that? Oh my goodness, no. Like we are, we have so much more in common than we think. So to speak to like how you were saying how men just say, I don't, you know, I don't have the time. What I have found is that men aren't encouraged to pursue what is purposeful. They are encouraged to pursue what is expedient. Hmm. Yeah, so, that's true. I don't, right. So it's like, okay, well, how are you going to make money? So what I find in adult men, when we have conversations about this, they'll say, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. But actually, I don't think that that's it. I think that what's really going on is they actually have absolutely no idea where to start mm, in terms of point. discovering. So they can conf- they conflate, they sort of confabulate this answer. It's like, well, yeah. I don't have time. It's like, well, no, if you actually stop to think about it, what you would discover is that you have absolutely no psychological contact mm. with what truly brings you joy. Yeah. You just simply don't know what it is. And it's very painful to stop and have the realization and go, you know, I, I actually don't know what I am passionate about. I, am, I do not know what makes my heart come alive. I don't know what I would do if I didn't have to work for a living, if I didn't have to go to that job that I that I claim to hate. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't know what I would do with my time. I think that's actually scarier than being forced to be an accountant for the rest of your life if that's not yeah. what you want to do. Yeah. So for me, I think for men the conversation starts with, you know what, buddy? I have to call men buddy just because like <laughs> I don't want to be like, "Hey man." And then like I you know, and it's just weird. Hey, and I'm having brothers, so it's like, "Hey bud, yeah. Yeah. you deserve to be happy in what you do. You deserve to be fulfilled." I feel like whenever I have this conversation with guys, I try to tell them what women have been saying to our set. We've been saying this to each other, women, since the 60s. Mm-hmm. What we've been saying to each other is, sister, you deserve to have a life that reflects your highest vision. If you want to be a mom, be a mom. Mm-hmm. If you don't, don't want a career, killer. Do you want to have kids and a career? Awesome. Let's figure out how that works for you. Mm-hmm. Also, well, how can I support you? Yeah. And I think men need that same encouragement these are conversations that men do not allow themselves to have. I think Gary Vanderchuk just did a a video on stay-at-home dads and he's like, he was calling out other men. He's like, do not trash a guy because he says he wants to be a stay-at-home dad and crush the awesome responsibility Hmm. of bringing up their child in this world. So if you are a guy listening to this and this resonates at all, Please know there's a huge segment of of the population out there of women who really understand that you guys have a right to begin asking yourselves these deeper questions and really changing your life in a way that aligns with the answers you find. I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, that's that is something that I have seen, especially in the last 20 years. The amount of resources for women has like just exponentially grown. It's amazing. It's been Mm -hmm. actually really cool to see that. How many groups do you see where men are empowering each other to be real men, by the way, not to go back to that whole macho crap that, you know, sure, sure. Made the balance, sp- the healthy, the healthy masculine. Exactly. Yeah. This is why men commit suicide when they lose their job. Yeah. That's why in the Great Depression, do you know the suicide rates of men in the Great Depression? Uh-uh. Why? Because Oh, my, it was astronomical. Yeah. Why? Because 
men define themselves. Who are you without that sports car? Yeah, exactly. Who are you without the corner office? Now it's the whole, you know, cosmopolitan laptop lifestyle. That's mm-hmm. kind of the, you know, we've traded that in, but who are you without that? We are all tired of being defined by these exterior parameters yeah. that don't truly reflect who we actually are. And I think that both women and men were both desperately trying to express that in the world. And yeah, guys, I, agree. I think guys, you guys need to get on your revolution with that <laughs> and start having conversations about it because here's one, no one is going to do that for you. You know, no. you have to really do it for yourselves. Women can't help you with that. You have to get out there and make it okay to support one another. Women have learned that. We are terrifying, I think, to some extent because we are, we will support one another. We are united. We've got each other's backs and that's how we've really risen as fast as we have. So yeah, I hope that men can do that in a way that's, that's really healthy and helpful and rich and full. And I think our kids are going to be better off with men, you know, doing that. And yeah, I hope it works that way. I mean, that's something that I've been trying to do for 12 years now. Mm -hmm. Some guys get it and others don't want to hear it. It's too bad. And I think part of it goes back to what you were saying is that either they don't want to hear it or maybe they're not allowed to because of their external circumstances, whatever those pressures are in your life. And I loved what you said that we as humans have been defined. In fact, I'm going to talk about this so much on the show. We have to have a box to put each other in. We're that mortal. (laughs) I mean, I hate boxes, but people can't not do it. In fact, you and I were talking before the show about, you know, our Enneagram types. And if you haven't taken the Enneagram, okay, you know, Everyone knows that I'm a type seven, which is that very extroverted. I mean, even though I'm kind of an omnivert, I'm finding right now, but you know, I, I love a lot of things. You know, what's your, what are your favorite hobbies? I have 120 of them or I have 4,000, you know, it's like, I'm always curious. I'm always the life of the party. I want to be out with people. I care about people. And I'm also a type eight, which is that challenger, you know, that, that goes back to the intuitive, the perceiver, the, the standing up against bullies, you know, in society, those two personality types, but, and I know you're an eight with a seven wing. So you're like, same as me, but just a little, you know, switched a little Mm -hmm. in society. These personality types cannot exist together. They just can't. In fact, everybody says that, well, that's just not possible. You're either one or the other. You can't be both. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have said that to me. Mm -hmm. I've had a few people say you are both. And that's an incredibly rare personality combination. And you're always going to be at war within yourself all the time. But it goes back to, external circumstances, external forces continually say, well, that's not possible. That goes back to logic. You know what you were talking about? We're not being creative here. The reason why, you know, we put people in a nice little box, it's very expedient. And to some extent we need it, we need it for social cohesion. Yeah. I would like to formally and utterly challenge the notion that two seemingly disparate and totally contrary things cannot absolutely live and complement with one another. Yeah. And I will show you, here's an example of that. When you study, you know, ancient spiritual traditions, they all talk about this. It's the resolving of the paradox. My dad used to say, the minute you find a paradox in life, perk up and pay attention because you're about to see a miracle. Mm. You're about to see something amazing. You're about to learn something. An inhale and an exhale. Yeah. What's the point of an inhale if it doesn't have an exhale? What's yeah. the point in a sunrise without a sunset. Mm -hmm. What is the point in light if there's no darkness to help you understand or appreciate it? Mm -hmm. What is the point in any of these opposites? What is the point in white, black, hot, 
cold, bitter, sweet. Mm-hmm. It's all there for us to enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I really think that a big thing human beings are up to is to transcend this binary, cognitive, linear, dualistic way of thinking and begin to learn to see the commonalities between things that are seemingly opposites. But when you dig deeper, you find out that they are actually two different expressions of the very same thing, much like heads and tails of a coin are just two sides, but it's a coin. It's one thing. It's a coin with two different expressions. And so when I hear you say I'm a seven and an eight and everybody tells me that these things you know, kind of don't go and you're going to always be at war with yourself. First of all, I just think, wow, what a blessing that you have. What a blessing it is to be so dynamic Yeah, and to get to embody the contrast in a way from within you, right? Like you get to live that contrast. So I think that's a an incredible blessing you have within you, the ability to see things from two totally different perspectives all right within your own head. Yeah. And that that is a massive massive blessing and it's that is what life is really all about. It's about looking at the contrast and saying, okay, how is all of this really harmonious? It seems like it's not, but it it really actually is. And mm-hmm. that's what I have found is the minute that I'm I see an opposite, I'm like, no, this is one thing and I am super excited to get to figure out what is the common ground here. So you're creative, you have all of these ideas, you know, you're you're in love with life, you're in love with learning, you're in love with all of that and you like to challenge. You like to push back. Yeah. You like to ask why. You like to stand up. So what you find is something in life that allows you to do both and usually that thing is something you create. Yeah, that's true. You know, I would I would not be running Atmana Coaching Academy if Mayo Clinic had a VP of Intuition position, right? It's yeah. like I would just go do that, you know. Yeah. So, but it doesn't exist and I have a choice. I can put my butt on the line and go down in a blaze of glory or, you know, succeed either way, whatever. That's not the point. I get to choose what I want to do with it. And I really think that we all, every human being has like that level of complexity and depth. Maybe their personality doesn't express it. Mm -hmm. If there is one thing I will tell you, I have learned as a clinician and being on the back end of people's lives, you know, being the person in the chair that they telling me things that they have not even said out loud to themselves, being the only human in the world who has ever heard what they are about to say. Yeah. That's cool. Being truly on, yeah, yeah, like on the back end of their lives, being the one person that they chose to come out to, I'm gay, hmm. come out to, I was raped, right? Like I'm, I'm sitting there witnessing that. If there's one thing I've learned in holding that space, it's that people are infinitely beautifully complicated yeah. <laughs> and deep <laughs> and rich and have so much. There's, oh my God, I mean, every human soul you see is a never ending well of really interesting stuff. I think people are the most fascinating thing in the world. Like some people are into saving the whales, saving the gorillas. I'm like, I'm into the saving the humans because yeah. we are really interesting. Yeah. Well, it goes so. back to what you said that something externally, whether it was culture, fill in the blank, right? Because it's changed throughout generations, but it's always been an external force of some kind has tried to define us 
And like you said, because we're each individually so complex and so unique, there's no one else Mm -hmm. like us. Those external forces can help. But this goes back to what we said in the very beginning of the show, too, where it's like that survivor from Auschwitz, the external cannot necessarily it doesn't need to define us. Mm -hmm. It can help us or it can hurt us. Mm-hmm. but I love that because I mean, how many of us really, I mean, I know I've done this. I've had to, I'm, I know you've done this and I know some have, but how many of us have really sat down and said, you know, like, okay, I need to really understand who I am and what makes me needed on this earth. I'm still here. I wake up every day. I must still have a purpose. So what is that? What, what is that thing that I need to give to the world that I have not yet done? Who am I? You know, that kind of thing. And that's a very tough question for a lot of people because it's hard to do. And then once again, those external forces come in and try to tell you who you are. I totally agree. Or you're with you told on that. to do, you're told to do what the world says it wants or needs you to do. Yeah, exactly. So start the business that your business coach is telling you is viable and will actually sell. Yeah. Well, why do that? The answer to what you just said, the answer to that is, well, first of all, the only way, like we have to claim that the world will put you in a box and say that you're one thing because that's what the world is supposed to do because the world is too chaotic. It's too complex. Mm -hmm. So it's going to just, you black, you purple, you red, you green, everybody get in their box and sit down and shut up. Mm -hmm. That's the job of society. So, and that's fine. We can use that exterior marker when we're young, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. wherever we're at in the journey to help us orient, but you will reach a point in life. If you want to live a purpose-based life, a life of true fulfillment and purpose, that fulfills you, right? Not yeah. gives you significance in the exterior world, but fulfills you. Yeah. You have to say no to that. You have to say, no, that is a part of me. That is not all of me. And I am going to make decisions that honor the wholeness of who I am. And I am perfectly willing to allow people to be upset at me about that. I'm perfectly, you know, that is a radical act. Yep. To do to to say here I am. This is what I'm doing. So I think the the reason why more people don't do it is you have to be a complete fanatic. Yes. Totally fanatic. Just completely fanatical about saying no. I am going to do what my heart and my soul tells me to do. And from there, I know that as I proclaim that, the world will come along, and it will. Because let me tell you what. The world is waiting for you to put your foot down. Mm -hmm. And when you do, and when you stand in it, when you root down into that purpose, the world will look at you, I swear, and go, we got a live one. Mm. Look at her go. Look at him go. We love watching people actually do it. Mm -hmm. At first, we tell you not to. At first, you know, what is it? At first, we laugh at you. Then we we ignore you. Then we laugh at you. Then we fight you. And then you win, you know? So you're going to have to go through that. Yeah. But it is not true even. Like I think the most celebrated thing in the world are people who do that. Martin Luther King, Gandhi, people who just drew a line in the sand and Mm -hmm. said, you know what? I'll take a bullet for it. I'm down, man. I'm here for it. This is what I'm here for. So it's even, yeah, the world is going to censure you, but don't stop there. No. Because what the world desperately needs are people who are on fire being who they are. And yeah, you're going to get hate for it, but let's that old mm-hmm. saying goes, I'd, I'd rather be hated for who I am than loved for who I'm not. Yeah. You know, and you know what? You'll get kicked out of things. It'll happen. Yeah, I have oh, been for sure. I've been kicked out for doing what I know was right. There's not always a happy ending to some of these things where it's like you stand up and you do what's right and you do what you know is going to be the right thing. People will kick you out. 
and you got to get back up and keep trying because you're right. Eventually you'll win. Just like you said, eventually you will do it and people will eventually go, Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, eventually wow, what will happen is you'll go. wake up and eventually what happens is you wake up and you realize that being kicked out is the win. Exactly. We want to bargain, right? Like a little kid yeah, with yeah. the universe. We want to bargain with life. Like if I'm a good girl and I make good decisions, will you then give me what I want? Yeah. Right. Yeah. right? It's like, no, you don't do what is right and what honors your soul for some kind of payoff. The payoff yeah. is I did not make a decision or act in a way that assaulted my own conscience or my own my own moral, ethical, you know, worldview or my soul. That that is the reward. The reward is I just didn't let the world take a bite out of myself. Yeah. So and, yeah. you know, and then whatever happens, happens. It doesn't it's kind of the Buddhist principle of non-attachment. It's like you can only make your decisions. You've got to do what you feel is right for you. Understanding that you are a person who has valid feelings and hopes and desires, and you deserve to be considered just as much as your mom, your dad, yeah. your neighbor, your yep. spouse. You're a person too. Okay, so it's not selfish to say, I'm going to do what's right for me because you certainly would tell your neighbor to do what's right for them, wouldn't you? So understanding that you have every right to make that decision and live your life according to that paradigm. And then whatever happens in your life happens for your benefit. I think it's really important to remember that when we're making decisions that we think are right, we need to make sure we're not hurting others. What I mean is like, if we're making a decision that we're like, this is right for me, but it's going to actively hurt someone else. Is that really the right decision? You know what I mean? Now, if somebody's feelings get hurt because they're wimpy, that's a different story. But I mean, like if I say that I want to get to the front of the grocery line because that's what's right for me. And so I push this other person out of the way and I physically hurt them and emotionally hurt them because it's right for me. Like then it's not right. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, well, that's not right. So that's, a, I mean, this is like so meta. It's not even funny, but <laughs> what do we mean by right? Okay. Yeah. So what I, I operate under the premise and there's a, clinical psychologist out of Canada named Jordan Peterson who talks about this. He says, something cannot be considered right unless it is right for you, right for your family, right for society, right for your country, right. It literally extrapolates out. Yeah, You have a right to your sovereignty, to live your own life, to pursue your own, you know, your own health, your own happiness. You have the right to that. You have that sovereign right to live your life. And that also encompasses the idea that you extend that to other people. Exactly. You are not in your sovereignty while you're violating other people. Yeah. So to be right is to be doing what is best for you, knowing that you're acting in a congruent, aligned, moral, and ethical manner. And when you are in that space, if you are truly in a place of rightness for yourself, honoring yourself you know, with the right to pursue your own health and happiness, mm -hmm. that you're also extending other people that right. And you would never, you know, as you're consciously and mindfully making your decisions, we're all going to make mistakes, but you certainly wouldn't just be out there, you know, harming other people because that's not right. <laughs> and look, it's very, it's a very complicated issue because a lot of people have unhealed traumas. Mm -hmm. You know, if you've ever been in a relationship with a narcissist, you're going to have a really hard time with this because you've been taught your whole life that you should set yourself on fire to keep other people warm, yeah. that you should hurt yourself 
so other people can be okay and be happy. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, I don't, I don't have to hurt myself so you can be happy. That, that that's not right either, because I'm a person. So most people are far more willing to hurt themselves mm. than they are willing to hurt other people. I, I think people yeah. deeply, deeply, deeply actually have a serious problem yeah. with liking themselves. So I actually yeah. think we're we're in danger of the reverse. It's let's get ourselves off the crosses. Like we do way too much self-harm than the opposite. I and yes, there are some bad actors out in the world, but in my yeah. experience, it's been can we like be nice to ourselves, please? <laughs> love others as you love yourself. But it's like if you don't love yourself, then you can't love others, apparently. But exactly. they do, That's but it's what's like what's wrong with the world. Yeah, but it's like if we love others like we love ourselves, well, we want to love others. Or we want to love ourselves for a narcissist, but then that means we're not loving others like we love ourselves. We don't it, love ourselves. I've heard people yeah. refer to human beings as a virus, like we're <sighs> the virus. Yeah, I'm like that. that is the most, that it's is ridiculous. the sickest. Like it makes my heart so sad mm-hmm. to hear people say it because what I hear with my trained ear is I hate myself. Mm-hmm. I hate humanity. I hate, why are we doing this to our oceans? Why are we deforestation and our dirty oceans and, you know, industrial, like far, like, why are we so mean to animals? And it's just like, mm-hmm. ah, you know, and just thinking about all these, the, the environment, we just kind of trash it. We don't think about it. And clear as day in my mind, I heard a voice that said, Heather, you don't have deforestation because you hate trees and you don't have dirty oceans because you can't stand the water mm-hmm. and you don't destroy your environment because you hate earth and you don't have you know horrific conditions in industrial farming plants because you hate animals. You do this because you hate yourselves. Mm. All of this stuff that we're seeing out here in the world is because we hate ourselves. Yeah, it's it's the truth. Mm-hmm. People don't want to hear it, but it's the truth. And the minute that you become a person who no longer hates yourself and you love yourself, it becomes so obvious that it's painful. And it's almost even scary to mention it or say it because people look at you like you're crazy. They don't even know what you're talking about. But I'm like, yeah, yeah no. We're doing all of this because we're deeply disconnected with who we are and we don't understand that what we are doing is actually to get Freudian on you, kind of a, you know, a death drive. It's like mm-hmm. a death wish. We, we just, we're on this path of destruction. And yeah. if we don't go within and start resolving the inner conditions that are creating this, I don't really know if it can get better because ultimately this really is an inner issue. Yeah. Again, everything in my life ties back to intuition. So it's like, mm. yeah, that, okay, so right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's the answer, right? Getting in touch with that part of ourselves. You know, you're so. so right about that. Actually, the more I'm thinking about this, the more I'm realizing because there's the other saying, hurting people hurt people, right? Oh yeah, hurt and, people hurt people. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so you just say, you know, really, if you truly loved yourself and you were content with yourself and who you were, I firmly believe 100% and I'm not talking narcissists. I don't think narcissists love themselves. No, they don't. They hate themselves more than anybody. Yeah. So a person who I mean, legitimately actually loves who they are and believes like I am a worthy person. That is very difficult for any of us to attain to actually love ourselves in that manner. But if we do, I fully believe that we will overflow with love for others. We can't help but not love others. Or maybe that was too many ne- double negatives, but you know what I mean? Like, like we will love others because we have to. I can't not love others. I can't not not love others. That's great. But it's true. I mean, it's I, I firmly, firmly believe that so-called altruists who say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to serve others, but they're suffering on the inside. They're suffering themselves. And oh, it's why I became a clinician. Yeah. You, you I, know, was, I got a master's degree. He's like, 
I did all of this because I was deeply wanting to learn how to heal and love myself. Yeah. Right. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And I think that's actually the really cool, beautiful part is, you know, we had talked earlier in the conversation about how in finding that purpose, it's always having to do with other people because we live life, human beings, we live life in relationship. Yeah. We are not isolationists. Yeah. We are creatures of deep, deep, deep connection yeah. and deep relationship. So it's absolutely going within and learning to love ourselves and then also being in deep relationship and having, um, in, in psychotherapy, they call it having a corrective emotional experience. That's what therapy is supposed to be, a corrective emotional experience. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's what healthy relationships are. It's a corrective emotional experience. It's mm. sitting in a room with a best friend or you know someone that loves you and that you love them and you're telling them your story and sharing your troubles and they look at you and they go, I just think you're awesome. I mm. love you. That's you awesome. Know, you've got this. It's falling in love with that other person and allowing them, receiving their support and then giving your love to that other person and being willing to support. So I think we need to go within. We've got to do our work, but also deep relationship with other people that care about us. Oh my goodness, does that ever bridge the gap? I mean, mm. I, my husband and I have been married for eight years and mm. I swear I am a thousand percent a better person because of his love for me. And in mm. seeing how much he loves me, I have learned to love myself so much more because of mm. how he loves me and how I can see myself in his eyes. And he sees me in a way that is just, I'm like, Bleh. I mean, it's just, I'm like, wow, you really see me that way. And it's helped me and he's right. And I didn't see it mm. until he he saw it first. And, and I do that you know, for him too. So, and I, you know, we do this with our friends. It doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. It sure. can be, you know, any close relationship. So I absolutely know that this path of reclaiming our self-value and our self-love is one that, that we have to walk with our own two feet, but it doesn't have to be a journey that we go on alone. We it have to walk be. it by ourselves, yeah. right? We have yeah. to walk it by ourselves, but we don't have to journey to journey alone. Sure. So, and I think that's what we all want. We just want, we're, I swear we're all just a bunch of little kids <laughs> in like adult costumes. Yep. And like, we just like at the end of the day, we want like a lot of people sitting with us at the lunch table. Like we want our friends and oh, we want to yeah. do fun stuff. And, you know, we're just a bunch of kids. I don't yeah. care how old we are. We want to be loved and we want to love and we want to live a life that we can be proud of. And we want to help other people live lives that they can be proud of. It's been very interesting during this time to see how some people have really stepped up and loved others and done things for others in ways that let's be honest, I haven't seen since nine 11. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really cool to see that there are those that don't, unfortunately, those that are, are hoarding the toilet paper and everything else that's going on. They don't love themselves. It's very clear. Yeah. And they don't believe that anyone will help them. Exactly. And you know what? Right. Maybe they won't because maybe they've never been that friend. My, my cousin spoke up. I love this on, on Facebook. I was asking some questions about how real can you be, you know, and he spoke up and said, you know, do you have friends that will travel eight states to come to you? And, you know, if you have a time of need, do you have friends that will bend over backwards for you? And he says, and if you don't, are you that kind of friend to them? So, but the people hoarding the toilet paper, they may say, well, no one will help me. Maybe they've never been friends like that to anyone else. And so they're right. <laughs> there is no one that's mm -hmm. going to help them. Mm -hmm. So it goes back to, you have to love yourself so that you can truly love others. I love what you were saying too. There were things that you didn't know were true about you 
that your husband saw in you. Mm -hmm. So there are times where it's like, you don't know how to fully love yourself yet until someone else loves you first. And then, you know, so it's like, you still have to try to love others. I I really believe it's a bi-directional. It's a two pronged process. It is. There are people in the world. I love what you're saying about like, you got to be the friend you want. That's Mm -hmm. so true. And I've also seen people who are just absolutely and utterly alone in life. They're the toilet paper hoarders. And again, I've got this amazing job where I get to see how the back end of people's lives on yeah. that actually is coming from this place of trauma and hurt and pain. Of course. A lot of people have experienced things so horrific or they've had relationships of abuse and toxicity so seemingly insurmountable, right? Like the closest people to them were their abusers that they don't even know how to even select a friend that would be good to them. Mm. So they probably are givers in a lot of ways, but because being in relationship with someone who would actually give back to them is so terrifying because they've never had that, that they choose relationships with people who are actually really bad for them. So usually what you'll find is, well, are you that friend? They'll go, yeah, I would. I would drive eight states, but nobody ever does it back for me. And that's because that person is still in a place where they're choosing the abuser over and over Mm. again. So it might've, let's say it's your dad who abused you, right? You're a grown woman or you're a grown man. You know, you're not in relationship with your dad anymore, but you keep picking someone of that same energy. Someone who wouldn't give back to you if you paid him money, right? Like that is why radical compassion is needed because at the end of the day, the guy hoarding the toilet paper, I want to throat punch him. I really do. (laughs) Because I'm like, I need TP. And then I was like, I'll just take a shower. It's fine. Like I came up with my own answer. I was like, okay, babe, we've got this figured out. If I run out of toilet paper, I am not, I got a solution. Yep. So I want to throat punch them too. But I also stop and ask myself like hurt people, hurt people. Mm-hmm. Gosh, what has this human gone through? Yes. That they feel like that's their only option. I bet if I were to sit down and like this person could trust me enough to tell me what has happened in their life, I would hear some stuff (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I would probably be like, oh, I am so sorry that happened to you. And I Mm -hmm. totally get why you're hoarding toilet paper. And I am so sorry that I just throat punched you because (laughs) you didn't deserve that. (laughs) I used to say on the show a long time ago, and I haven't talked about this much, but getting to the root of the problem, all these things we want to talk about and, you know, oh, gun control and, you know, all these other problems and all anyone has ever, you know, even like cold sicknesses, let's just give them a Tylenol. It's always dedicated to the symptoms. Mm-hmm. Nobody actually says, why are people shooting other people right now? Why are those kids violent in the first place? We need to work with them preemptively rather than sure. like, you know, attacking some symptom that isn't, they're going to find something else, you know? So I used to talk about that a lot and I firmly believe that every single person that bullies someone else has been bullied and hurt in their life. Oh yeah. Every one of them. Like the research is fairly clear on that. Yeah. Yeah. Like people don't just go out and they're not jerks just because they're jerks or like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to hurt someone just because that's, I was born that way. No, you weren't. You were hurt and this is your way of coping with the hurt. I firmly believe that it's a hundred percent true. Unless Mm -hmm. it's just like a pure evil person that just happens to inhabit this earth. But even then you still got to go, but really though, what caused them? You know what I mean? What's the root? Yeah. If you watch a great, it's all fiction, but the Netflix show Mindhunter, Mindhunter. Oh yeah. It shows. Yeah. It's a great one to kind of wrap your head around this because it shows 
how the FBI started to employ psychologists, hmm. which at the time it was like in the, I think in the fifties or the, the sixties or something like that. But behaviorism was really, really big. It's how the FBI started using psychological profiling to catch serial killers. And what their biggest issue at that time was to help law enforcement officers understand that serial killers were not born, they were made. Yeah. Because the the guy who was trying to do the profiling, he was looking for similar patterns of life experience, childhood upbringing. In psychology, they teach you to look at the biopsychosocial model. There's three prongs, biology, psychology, which is your thoughts. Biology mm-hmm. is like your genetics. And then your social environment is like your nurture aspect, your family life, the community you live in. So you have to take into consideration all three of those as you look at pathology. And what he was trying to get these cops to realize is that, no, dude, like we can't actually figure out this guy, like why he's doing this. All of these serial killers have very consistent lived experiences, right? Like they all hurt, start hurting animals at a young age. Mm. Most of them have come from broken homes or dysfunctional families. Yeah, you know? yeah. We are still in that awakening. Again, we like to paint with that broad brush because we're all busy and we just want to put a person in a box and move on with our lives because there's a lot of information coming at us yeah. every single second. We have to make a, a million decisions in a day. And it's way easy for me to look at the guy in Target and say he's a jerk than it is for me to look at him and go, He's a broken human mm-hmm. who's really scared right now. Yeah. It takes a lot of practice and it's a commitment. It's a commitment to try to see our world through that lens. And I think a lot of people feel foolish or naive for doing so, but there's nothing foolish or naive about seeing the greater reality of the truth behind Mm-mm. what you're seeing. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's the most powerful thing in the world Yeah, to be able to see what's actually really going on. Oh, for sure. How you were saying earlier, how you can just, you know, meet people and you kind of know how they feel and you know how to talk to them because of that. It really is a superpower. Yeah. You know, yeah, to be true. able to do that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I'll get the the warnings of people sometimes, you know, where it's, this is very, very rare. In fact, I could probably count on my hand how many times I've been across someone in my life. Usually I'm like, oh my gosh, this person, I, I, yeah, I should probably ask how they're doing. They're being a jerk, but you know, there's something wrong with them. But less than a handful of times I've had this you need to stay away from that person at all costs. I fully believe that everything that we talked about ties back into understanding your identity, understanding what it takes to have resilience and everything we talked about, you can now apply to what's going on in life right now, what's going Mm. on in the external world. But I'm really excited that this conversation transcended the current situation because this is something we'll be able to apply forever. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I really appreciate this conversation. Do you have any any last thoughts on, you know, maybe even a couple, like here are three ways to be resilient right now. Resiliency and the ability to transcend any difficulty you face is found through developing what is meaningful in your life. Mm -hmm. Meaning is the antidote. Purpose is the antidote because we cannot stop the tragedy from happening. We can't stop obstacles from coming our way. That's a part of life. It will always be that way. The answer is to look for what you can invest in your life that makes it worth it. What could you spend your time doing that makes it worth it? That is just, you're doing it because in and of itself, it is so meaningful and so valuable to you. And I say three things, I guess, as my parting thing, I always say this, you're to know this, if you take nothing else away from this, to understand this, that you are more powerful than you can possibly imagine that there are inner resources inside of you waiting for you to discover them, that you were born 
with immeasurable gifts and talents. If you live to be 500 years old, you would still never get to the bottom of it, that you are more powerful than you can possibly imagine, that your life has a deep purpose. You were born for a reason. You are here to do something incredibly important. And if you don't do it, the world will not have it. Mm. Only you can do it. And the third is that you are guided every single moment to accomplish that purpose and unlock that power and give it to the world. And that, that thing that guides you is your intuition. And it is there and it's very real. You can get in touch with it so that you can live your, the life that you really deserve to live and that the world needs you to live. I love so that. That's my sum up. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. I do also love that if you don't do it, the world won't have it. Man, that's, it won't have it. No, that's You're the a, only one that can do it. Yeah, it's so true. Other people will try to, whatever that deep purpose is, they'll try to box you in, but you just can't let that happen. No. Because the world needs what you have that's unique. So I love that. How do we get in touch with you? I know you have a podcast and of course your business as well. So share all of the goodies. Yeah. So you can, I have a podcast. It's on iTunes and Spotify and it's called The Everyday Intuitive. So you can just pop open your Spotify or your iTunes app and search The Everyday Intuitive and you will see my wonderful mug come up. And you can subscribe and, and listen to the episodes. And, and then you can also find me on my website at Heather Alice Shea, Shea like the butter, S-H-E-A dot com. And if you are interested in the science of intuition, click on Academy and there's a tab that says research and you can watch. I've compiled some like super cool research articles and videos on the science behind intuition and other kind of psi phenomenon. It's really interesting. So I think that's a good gateway into learning the resource supported way to get started with intuition. And if you're interested in being a coach, you can take my free intuitive coach archetype quiz. It's really neat. It kind of like profiles. It's like the, it's like these personality tests, except for it's for aspiring coaches and healers to sort of figure out who they are in that healer role, you know, how they show up uniquely in the world as a healer. So, and that's always super fun to take. So yeah, I love those kind of things. Those are fun. Very cool. Well, thank you very much. These links will be in the show notes, of course, too. So you can grab them all there, but thank you, Heather. This was so much fun. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it it was great. I really appreciate it, Brian. Thank you for having me. All right. We're going to wrap it up. You know what the music means. Thank you so much for joining me here today and joining Heather. This was really, really fun. All right. All of those links we mentioned, all of those resources and things that Heather mentioned will be in the show notes. That is realbryanshow.com slash 226. Easy to find. Hey, I hope you have a wonderful Monday. We'll see you on Friday. Thank you so much again for joining us here. This is The Real Brian Show. Signing off. The Real Brian Show is a production of 514 Media at 514mediaempire.com.